Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Jundo. How are you today? Well, Kirk, I... I have to say, it's one of those weeks when there's something in the news that, uh, well, is so disturbing that I felt that uh, we have to face it. And it's something I don't think we've talked about in depth on this podcast. But now's the time. And that is guns. It was a week of another school shooting. so common in America. It may not be common many places in the world, though I'm I'm sorry to say the violence is found many places. But guns, what about it? What is this with the fascination with guns and what does Buddhism have to say? That's what I'd like to talk about today. I have a feeling that Buddhism doesn't like guns particularly. That I think we recognize that there are needs at certain times. There are needs if you need to hunt food to survive, even though many Buddhists are vegetarians, so you're not going to really use guns to you know, hunt a pumpkin. Um, there are needs to defend yourself if your country's invaded. But the kind of violence we see in the States, is it's totally irrational when you think about it. Not just that the violence is irrational, but that the reaction of the gun lobby and of the Republicans is so irrational saying that, well, there's nothing we can do about it. There was a poll this week, and 44% of Republicans in the U.S. think that mass shootings are the price we have to pay for the Second Amendment. Yeah, uh, we're going to get into that. Uh, Our subject is religion, and I'm not talking about Buddhism here. I'm talking about the religion of guns uh, that has become so common in America. That's the only way I could describe it. But I want to say, first off, I, I try to avoid subjects of overt politics in our Zen Sangha for a particular reason. And that Mm -hmm. is that there's so much in the world, so much fighting on the internet, that when people come to our Sangha, the point is to drop thoughts. And that means, of course, dropping the debates and the right and wrong and me and you of politics for the time they're in the Zen Sangha. Right. So usually when people come, I say, leave the debates at the door. Leave your opinions at the door. Oh, you know me, Kirk. I got opinions too. Oh boy, and <laughs> you got opinions out the wazoo, Jundo. Oh, if you go some places on the internet, you will find them too. And uh, let's let's say I know which uh, which causes I support. But when you come to the Zendo, you put that down with the idea that a certain clarity appears from dropping the debates and the right and wrong and the problems of the world for a time. And then when you go back out the door, you can pick them up again. And a surprising thing happens, Curry. Ask me what happens. What happens when you do that? A certain clarity appears, even as the problem remains. And you see it in a new light. And sometimes with a new insight, 
to how to how to face the problem and what the real cause of the problem is. And I've had many people who are committed social warriors mm. and committed social workers dealing with the homeless and, and feeding the hungry who say that because of the time putting it down, they get re-energized, you know. Right. And it keeps them from burning out. So I want to say usually we don't talk about politics, but there is an exception. That is when politics and social policy and the precepts of Buddhism cross. In this case, we have a precept to avoid the taking of life. And I think there are certain causes, such as preserving the environment would be one, but most definitely gun policy, where, well, saving lives means taking a stance about guns. Mm. But I think you said something wrong. What did I say wrong? That Zen has no particular uh, relationship to guns, or should I say weapons? I don't think that's, that's historically true. Oh, weapons, definitely. There was this close link between uh, Zen and the samurais uh, in Japan. And I'm sure that in other cultures it was similar. I've been reading one of the four classic Chinese novels. I believe the English translation is Water Margin. And it's all about these bandits. This is, what, 15th, 16th century? And there are Zen bandits, and there are Taoist bandits, and there are Confucianist bandits, and they've all got weapons, and they all slice people with, you know, swords. So it's not something that was foreign to the idea of Zen or even, you know, the equivalent in China. Well, generally, we, we did not encourage Zen bandits. Let's... <laughs> no, but, but there is something to say about the idea of a Zen bandit. You know, that you can see a Clint Eastwood doing a Zen bandit, right? It, w- it would be a heck of a spaghetti western. Yes, I, I could see that. Yes. <laughs> it would be a noodle western. There you go. But uh, generally, Buddhism had a kind of complicated relationship with violence and weaponry. In the old days, it wasn't guns so much, though the samurai eventually switched from swords to guns. It was swords. Yeah. But it was a policy where, you know, Buddhism was against violence in the Buddhist community. Mm. The you know the monks had metal detectors as, as they came in the monastery, and they had to leave their guns at the door. You know they couldn't <laughs> you couldn't bring in your your weapons. Um, uh, but uh, generally, the Buddhists said no, no violence for the clergy. But he never said to a king, nor could he. Let's get real. Hey, king, put down your armies, and uh, just let your enemies march in and and do what they wish. He recognized that militaries need armies. It was the reality of the world. Maybe from time to time, he counseled not to use the weapons in anger or with excessive desire, though, you know, you, you don't tell that to a king too much either in, in real life. Uh, so basically, the, the Buddha said, for my community, please, no violence, avoid the weapons. But then, of course, he had people supporting his community, like the lay people who had to have weapons because they were farmers and hunters and you know that that involves and maybe even people who who were in the military who were buddhists right because these were warring times these were times of great ferment uh, in Japan where you know there were a lot of wars i want to point out that that commandment 
that the Christians cite as thou shalt not kill does not really say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. There was a difference between killing and murdering. There were justified killings in the Old Testament. You could kill thieves. You could kill to defend yourself. There was a whole range of justification for killing. Yes, and uh, even a stone could be a, a, a weapon. And uh, sure, yes, I, I'm glad we don't have many stonings anymore. Yes, but uh, uh, certainly the the Crusades are an example that uh, certain religions have had a a relationship with violence, and so has Buddhism. Now, Buddhism is generally not a militaristic religion, and we haven't had too many. Buddhist crusades, but you have had a lot of military powers, like the Tibetans were like big militarists, you know, with empires. The Mongolians ruled the world. You know who ruled Ukraine in the 15th century? Mongolia, and they were Buddhists. Yeah, yeah. Genghis Khan was the the big military leader of the Mongolians, right? Genghis Khan. He was like a real Khan. He was. He was. Uh, yeah. He was. Uh, yes. <laughs> he was, and uh, they attempted to be devoted Buddhists to the point that it did not interfere with the practicalities of empire. Long story short, we come to samurai times, and you have a fellow like Takuan, who was a Rinzai. I'm Soto, but uh, he was a Rinzai teacher, and I don't want to say the Soto folks were pure. And he has a famous series of writings advising the swordmaster. And some of his advice is very direct uh, about the benefits of Zen and killing. And uh, if I may, may I read one right now? Sure, please. This is about clearing the mind, you know, to be an effective swordsman. Hakuan wrote, when you see the opponent's blade strike, just see it and don't attach your mind there. Parrying the attacking blade without any thought or calculation. The instant you see your opponent's blade raised without attaching to it for even a moment, move right in and capture his blade, seizing the sword that was about to kill you so that it becomes instead the sword that kills your opponent. Dude. In other words, now, was Taquan only speaking in self defense? Was he only speaking to people, for example, who were policemen or soldiers keeping the peace? It's not clear. Probably they were working for warlords and keeping the territory. They were army. And he doesn't get into the morality of it. He just says, if you keep a clear mind, you will stay alive and then more effectively kill your opponent. He says it. And he says things like that a hundred other places. Well, what do you make of it? Well, if you look back at the Taoists and the Confucianists, they're talking about war all the time. Sun Tzu's Art of War is very famous. So war was an essential part of society back then. Society had not stabilized, and war was essential. But today, okay, Russia and Ukraine, that's an exception. And there's wars in a number of places, but it's not an everyday occurrence. The problem is saying that you can't politicize guns, and that's what the gun lobby wants to tell us. America comes from a society that was a frontier society that needed to defend itself against bears, um, not to mention Indians or Native Americans, and of course that wasn't necessarily defense. But the, the, the use of guns in America started out as just a normal 
thing that people had them. They were hunting for rabbits. They were hunting for birds. And it just continued. And it's almost as if it's become its own religion. And that's what's really interesting, how you have these overlapping belief systems that can be treated almost like they're religions. And the gun religion is something that makes some people just absolutist. There are so many subjects like that these days, from vaccines to abortion to religion that actually get treated like religion. Mm. People cling to it and will not be told, no, it's not a matter you can't not reason with them. It's not a matter of uh, anything you could uh, argue, any evidence. It is a belief that people have that cannot be argued with. And we have so many of these plaguing us right now. Guns, at least in the United States, certainly is one of those. Now, I, I think there may be room for someone to appreciate guns and be a good Buddhist. And that may be shocking. When I watch the Winter Olympics and I watch these guys in the biathlon, right? They do the cross-country skiing kilometers and kilometers, and then they have to stop and shoot at targets with their heart rate really high from the skiing. What I admire is the precision of the sport. And that shooting as a sport is, in, is extremely interesting. Darts is an interesting sport. You could hurt someone with a dart. Uh, this is the time uh, we have to give out a shout out to one of the great living uh, Soto teachers in America, Daiho Hilbert. You know Daiho. Daiho uh, was a Vietnam vet who, in friendly fire, killed a fellow American soldier. And then Daiho, I think, uh, in the same battle, was shot in the head. And he still has some brain damage from it. Fortunately, it did not affect him uh, uh, for the long term, uh, except he, he's paralyzed, semi-paralyzed on one side. He was in the VA hospital for about a year. While he was in the VA hospital, he became a Zen Buddhist, reading uh, books on Zen and then practicing after, and he became one of the great peaceniks I know. He has protested every war. He has sat out in the streets. He marches. Uh, he is anti-nuclear. If there is a peace cause, Daiho is there. And Daiho also likes his guns. Mm. He has guns. I've asked him if someone came into the house, would he use the gun in self-defense? And he's not one to say he would not. But he's not a, someone to use the gun in violence. He uses it on the, the range. He's also a uh, Harley Davidson leather-wearing motorcycle guy. <laughs> uh, the back of his leathers, by the way, say Roshi on the back. So here you have a Zen Buddhist peacenik who also has room for guns. So I'm mm. not going to say that there is no room for guns. The thing is, guns can be a, a useful, I want to say enjoyable thing if you're using it for target practice and, and all of that. But what we're seeing now is weapons that are designed for military usage that are sold to people. And, and this kid who shot the school in Texas he had just turned 18, and he was just able to buy one. He tried to buy one before. He had asked his sister to buy one for him, and she refused. And the fact that these are military-grade weapons, it's a very big difference. And yes, if that person had a handgun, he could have gone into the school and perhaps killed a few children, but not as many with a weapon of mass destruction like what he used. 
Exactly. This was someone with a history of mental illness who easily purchased a gun. Not only was he young, but he was young with a, a, a history of seemingly violent behavior. And these these cases and these people are not only in America. Now, people think, you know, Japan is gun-free, and I will tell you it's not. Uh, just right out my front door, there's a sign that says no gun hunting. And the farmers in my area where I live have guns, but they tend to be single-shot rifles, and they're heavily regulated. The police come and do inspect. You have to keep the bullets separate from the weapon. You have to go through all kinds of training and paperwork, and uh, they're not AK-47. At the same time, we had mentally disturbed individual here, and uh, Kirks, you will post about the sad case. These have happened in Japan from time to time. This fellow came into an elementary school with a knife, also killed eight children. Mm. So the, the trouble is not that there are not these people around anywhere in the world. The problem is they get their hands on these weapons, and then you have a case with 21 children killed. And then it's happening almost daily, it seems, somewhere. Cases like that are around the U.S. It's that the power of the gun amplifies the violence by so much. And don't forget, there were not only 21 killed, but there were at least another 20 who were shot and injured. We only talk about the deaths, but the number of people who were shot is just as many. You know, uh, uh, here in the UK, they have um, uh, extremely tight rules on guns like yours. My neighbor is a farmer. He has a shotgun. Every couple of years, he has to renew his license. So he comes to us because he needs a witness to fill out the form. And so he has a double-gauge shotgun. The other night, I saw him with the gun. I said, what are you doing? He said, there's pigeons out in the field. I'm going to get rid of them. And, okay, yes, there's too many pigeons around here. Get rid of some pigeons. But what what I want to say is that's not a violent use of a gun. Now, yes, he could eventually get angry and shoot someone. Like his neighbor. Yes, well, well, I'm always very nice to him. But there are so few guns, and particularly, you don't get the kind of assault rifles that you do in the United States that are sold to just everyone. Uh, You know, I was watching on TV the other day. Do you know the tennis player Andy Murray? Yeah. He's Scottish, and he was in the school in Dunblane when there was a a gun attack 30 years ago, I think. Someone killed a number of children, and that led the UK to have much tighter restrictions on guns. And he was speaking out about how much, you know, how painful it is. And I don't think he was wounded, but he was in the same school. And you see people like that who are affected by this in ways, traumatized and trying to help change this. And then you see, I hate to say it, it's money, it's the gun lobby um, in the United States saying, well, there's nothing we can do about it, so don't bother. Now, all the surveys have shown that among gun owners, the vast majority want tighter regulation. Among voters in general, the vast majority want tighter regulation. So it's really the politicians, a minority, who are controlling this sort of thing in the United States. President Biden has pointed out that there was a assault rifle ban in the 1990s and gun violence went down, or at least mass shootings went down. And then when it was repealed some 10 years later, they went up again. It's kind of obvious that restrictions work. And, you know, this absolutism, this evangelistic literalism of saying this Second Amendment means that we should have the rights to all the guns we want. It it just seems absurd. I don't know, like deluded. I would say delusion is uh, what it is and where uh, Buddhism might have something to say about it. 
Now, I, I'm going to confess, one of the many factors that caused me to move from the United States to Japan, and maybe the same for you uh, being in the UK, is uh, I feel safer here. I, we, we also have disturbed people, don't get me wrong, but uh, not everyone's walking around with a concealed weapon and my child goes to school. I'm pretty confident that she's going to come back at the end of the day. So this is uh, something that is plaguing American society. And I think that, uh, well, you know, Buddhism, in, in, we've spoken about how Buddhism in Asia is actually quite conservative. It's the church. And it doesn't tend to take mm -hmm. uh, radical social positions. But in America, I think for any Buddhist, if you are guided by the precepts, you must be for strong gun control. I don't know how to think about it otherwise. Mm. And I think that, no, we don't need these assault weapons. And I think we actually had a couple of uh, tragic cases this week, too, of parents who left a gun around or let a child play with it, and someone in the family was killed. Yeah. This has happened, too. The penalties for that must be uh, ex tightened. You know, regulate the bullets. Let them have the guns. Yeah. And uh, license every, what is happening to every bullet. And if someone receives a gun, they should receive training. And if they have any history of violence, Florida, you know, the crazy place I used to be from, actually has a good law. <laughs> I was surprised this because all the yeah. crazy laws are in Florida and all the crazy government officials, they actually passed a good gun control law where if you are suspect that your neighbor is disturbed or he threatens someone with a weapon, you can go to court and get the weapons taken away. And it's working. It's actually working. It's true that just off the top of my head, I can't remember any of these serious incidents happening in Florida recently. Texas is now concealed. Anyone can carry a gun concealed. You don't need a permit. You mentioned someone that you had been watching videos from comparing how conspiracy theories are a kind of religion. And I, I found that really interesting, the fact that we can consider, let's say, they're coming to take our guns away. That's a conspiracy theory, right? And the, the belief in guns is a religion. And I find it really interesting how people can have these micro-religions within other religions. It's all tied together. A lot of the people who are avidly pro-gun tend to believe in some kind of upcoming revolution that's going to happen. Or it could be race wars. It could be the they're going to we need to be survivalists. Uh, the lizard people are running the government and they're going to come with their spaceships and take us over. Or it's Hillary with her pizza gate and uh, the you know the, this thing. It's it's Tom Hanks and Hillary are going to take over the world. I I, I understand that's that's a conspiracy theory. Mm. That wouldn't be a bad thing to be honest. But well, yeah. it depends who you ask. They're actually lizard people. Oh, but okay. on the. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yes, uh, uh, the professor whose links I sent you has some very good talks on this, on how religion uh, and uh, conspiracy have come together, because it has, these beliefs are, I can only say, religious beliefs. And as I said, you don't argue about them rationally. You don't give evidence. You don't, you cannot show statistics. And if you pass laws, these people take it as an assault by the conspiracy runners mm. to take away. You're going to take my weapons from our hands, and then you're going to take over with the, your black helicopters. 
Right. It, it's the laws are proof that the conspiracy is true. Exactly. And I think uh, it may be that the only thing we can do is just what they think we're going to do. I mean that. I mean it. <laughs> if they say you're going to, you know, make a, a, a law and take away my rights and take away my gun, I'm going to say uh, yes. Let's do that. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's do exactly that. And but it's going to take uh, a lot of guts. Uh, for our political leaders finally to say uh, that, oh, well, you can keep your guns technically, uh, but you're going to have to jump through these 10 hoops, get a license, go for training. The first sign of mental illness or you're misusing the weapons, it gets taken away. And we treat it like we treat, until recently, like we treated marijuana, you know? Mm. And like we still treat uh, heroin, you know? If you have a medical reason, uh, you're a doctor, you can have some heroin locked up. But uh, we, we don't treat our guns this way. We need to. I think what shocks me in the United States is that with all this gun violence, and particularly with some of these school shootings, you would have thought that with all these little children killed, that that would have swayed people. But it doesn't. It actually leads the conspiracists to say that it's a conspiracy, what they call a false flag operation, where it was just set up to look like something happened. And they're already starting to say this about the shooting in uh, Texas uh, a couple of weeks ago. Interestingly, now um, the actor Matthew McConaughey, who is from the town where this shooting took place, uh, I believe he was talking at the White House yesterday. I think he's going to run for governor of Texas, and he's saying the kinds of things that politicians can't say. He's saying the personal things. He's he's talking about his own pain at seeing what happened, and the politicians can't go as far as him. And this gets a lot of resonance. And you could argue, well celebrities, you know, we shouldn't listen to celebrities, but he's someone with a very political point of view. And I don't think it'll change anything, but at least it's getting the conversation a little bit different. Well, he may be saying the right thing, but it is becoming a, a, a world where it's my actor versus your actor. And, and, yes, uh, exactly. Yes. And, uh, you know, we, 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 anyone who gets an Academy Award should be in the Senate. Maybe we'll just pass a, a rule <laughs> like that. But, uh, can we bring this back to Zen to close? How can we as Zen practitioners deal with this, if, even if from afar? How can we rationalize this? We can't accept this as normal. Uh, we can never fix this world completely, but we should never give up trying. We take a vow that uh, we will keep trying to save the sentient beings, although it's... Uh, impossible and the, the the violence will never completely end perhaps but we can do so much small changes can have tremendous effects and we can come to some rationality so first off let's sit zazen and put it all down for a time then let's get up and get marching and fighting still because it just takes people to have the Here's the zen of it. Write your congressman and pass some laws. Let's uh, march and, uh, and and take a stance and hope that uh, this world uh, gets some sense. I think uh, uh, we can never give up hope. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.